Luke 17, um, verses um, 1 to uh, 10. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. This is the word of the Lord. Um, I found this coaster, um, which is, uh, was on my desk, um, you may have something like this at home, I don't know. Um, various people I've seen have, have got them on, on pictures and things like that. Um, you won't be able to read it from here. You might be able to read the one on the screen, I'm, I'm not sure. It says, family rules. Show compassion, have fun, keep your promises, smile, do your best. Be kind, be silly, share, love one another. Uh, maybe you've got something like that in your home. I've seen it on various people's kitchen walls and things uh, like that. Different versions of it, not always exactly the same words. Uh, and even if you don't have an actual list uh, on your wall or on your desk, we all kind of have rules of our households, don't we? Family rules that everyone knows are part of uh, what we do. You know, meal times, bedtimes, whose job it is to stack the dishwasher, don't forget to phone your mum or your, your brother on Sunday night. Uh, or whatever it might be, because being part of a family is, is one of the inescapable realities of life, one way or another. Even those of us who don't uh, live with any members of our family at the moment, uh, we're still affected by them in all kinds of different ways, uh, aren't we? Whether it's our parents, who may or may not be still around, our, our, our siblings, our brothers and sisters, our children, uh, we love them, we're infuriated by them, we worry about them, we miss them when they're not there, they drive us mad when they are there. Uh, maybe you've been experiencing family life in all its glory already this morning, as you agreed on what time you needed to leave to church, or someone had to go back in to get a coat, or whatever it was. Family is a part of life. Now I know that lists like this one can be, in many ways they're quite generic, aren't they, and not particularly original. It's hard to imagine people disagreeing with the, with the things which are, which are written down on there. They're fairly standard in lots of ways. Um, but at the same time, we still don't manage to live up to them all, do we? And in that sense, these kind of lists, uh, they're more aspirational than descriptive, um, if you know what I mean. I've sometimes um, looked at a poster, a bold poster, on someone's kitchen wall, and thought to myself, oh, I wonder how many of these things uh, take place when I'm not visiting your house. I wonder how often it's really like that. But they're good aims to have. Um, house rules 
I want us to think about a little bit this morning. Um, Because if you're a Christian believer, then whoever lives in your house with you, whether you're part of a large household when you go home or whether you live alone, one of the great promises of God to you is that he has adopted you into his family and made you part of his household through Jesus Christ. That is something that is true of all of us who are Christians. Uh, It's described in lots of ways in the New Testament, isn't it? You know, Jesus calls us his sisters and brothers. Um, He teaches us to call God our Father. Uh, The church is described as the household of faith uh, in different places. Uh, So we are part of something which is not just private, it's family. And as we reach chapter 17 in our journey through Luke, our passage here is about what some of the family responsibilities look like in Jesus' household. If you like, it's where Jesus spells out some of the house rules, how we live as his brothers and sisters in his family. Uh, and there are four things here, I think, uh, for us to aspire to. They kind of break down according to the, uh, the little paragraphs that you'll see in the reading there. They're things we won't get right all the time. But by God's grace, with the help of his spirit, there are some of the ways we can seek to live more and more as children who belong to his family. Um, the four things here are about sin and about forgiveness and about faith and service. And more specifically, uh, Jesus is saying to us in this passage that we should hate sin, that we should repeatedly forgive, that we should trust God, and that we should serve humbly. So let's just have a little think about these things which Jesus highlights as things that we ought to do as part of his family. First of all, in verses 1 to 3, it's about hating sin. Jesus said to his disciples, look, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. It's a little bit gruesome, isn't it? Sounds more like a scene from Goodfellas or The Godfather than something in the New Testament, doesn't it? I kind of imagine, you know, some some men appearing on a New York harbour side at night and a body sliding into the water with a pair of concrete boots or something like that. They've betrayed the family and now they're paying a terrible price. It's one of the many places, isn't it, in the New Testament where the stereotype which lots of people have of Jesus, you know, baby Jesus, meek and mild, doesn't quite fit the reality of the really challenging things that he says. Better to suffer a mafia-style death, he says to us here, than to be responsible for leading others into sin. Sounds extreme, doesn't it? Why would he say something like that? I mean, what a terrible thing to do, a millstone. But if we look carefully at what Jesus says here, uh, a couple of things in particular, he says, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Now, of course, that's true. And the word stumble here is referring to serious sin that causes people to fall away from faith in Jesus. Now, it's inevitable, he's saying, that some people will fall in this way, but woe to the person who causes it. Uh, Especially woe to you if you're a religious leader, and in the light of what we've seen in the last couple of chapters, uh, we've seen that Jesus has been often speaking to and about the Pharisees and religious leaders of his day, and the way they wanted to stop people entering the kingdom of God on Jesus' terms, keeping people from finding grace and rescue in Jesus' family. Jesus says, woe to you people, people like that, 
who cause people to stumble on their way to receiving Jesus as Lord. It's a terrible thing to do. It'd be better to have a great millstone tied round your neck and thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. The other thing here is that phrase, little ones. It's not the only place Jesus uses it. It's a term uh, he uses in the Gospels, not necessarily to mean people who are you know, under 18 or under 16 or however we might define children. Um, everyone who comes to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation is described as a child of God. That is you this morning, if you are a believer. Um, remember how Jesus received the, uh, the children that time and told his disciples that they were models of how we all need to come and receive the kingdom of heaven. He said, I, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Those little children are people like you and me, Christian believers. Now, we are rightly horrified, aren't we, when we hear about crimes against children. And when we turn the news on, and there's, there's one of those news stories, it just makes us want to turn it off, doesn't it? I don't know about you, it's how I feel. Um, we need to be aware of what's happening in the world, but there's nothing worse of hearing about those who are most vulnerable and should be protected being mistreated in some way. Um, it's why some of the safeguarding scandals of recent years have been so shocking, you know, whether it's about football coaches or, you know, or TV presenters or, worst of all, ministers of the church. We want to say, don't we, um, with Jesus, woe betide you people who caused these little ones to stumble. Well, that is how Jesus feels about you. He feels about all of his children. That is the, the way in which he cares about us. Every person who has been adopted into his family and found salvation in him, he has given his life for his children. And so it's actually no wonder, is it, that the most terrible thing that someone could do would be to lead a child of God to fall from faith in their father and fall into sin. That's the reason why there's such a, a fearful message here uh, for those who are responsible for that happening. And like many things that Jesus says, uh, I think it's supposed to land um, with an even greater level of rem reminder and responsibility on those who lead in the family of God. Um, for any church leader who abandons the gospel truth, uh, that we can turn from our sin and find rescue in Jesus Christ and who flattens that out into something different and it leads people astray. That's not good. Um, we need to hate sin like Jesus did. That's the first thing. But then secondly, and closely related in the next couple of verses, uh, as members of Jesus' family, we repeatedly forgive. Verse 3, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. It's very obvious, isn't it, that these first two of the household rules here go together. Uh, they are both at the heart of the gospel. If we have one without the other, it doesn't work. Um, in Jesus' family, we, on the one hand, we don't just ignore sin and say it doesn't matter, but neither do we hold on to our grudges and our grievances where there is genuine repentance. Because Jesus did both, didn't he? He called out sin for what it was, time and again, and he lived a life that was shaped by forgiveness. In John chapter 1, in that famous verse, uh, John tells us that when Jesus came, he came full of grace and truth. 
he tells us the truth about sin and what is wrong, and he comes with grace to forgive us again and again when we repent and offer us new life in his family by the power of the cross. And so he says to his disciples here, yes, you you may need to rebuke one another for the things which are wrong, and you need to forgive one another for those things that are repented of. That's the, the pattern, because that is how Jesus lived. Uh, he's not suggesting, that, therefore, that there should be some kind of you know, vigilante righteousness squad that goes around the church, spotting where people have sinned so they can be rebuked. But he is saying, look, in the, in the normal flow of your relationships with other Christians, who are your sisters and your brothers, you know, you can choose your your friends, but you can't choose your family, as the saying goes. You may not like some of the other people who Jesus has called to be his children, um, and they, some of them may not like you either, but that's not our call. That's Jesus' call, isn't it? In the normal flow of our relationships, we need to sort stuff out. Um, yes, sin does matter. It's not about saying, oh, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. But repentance should be greeted with forgiveness. And we need, in principle, to be ready to be quick to move on, recognizing that we will have as much to forgive as the person next to us. Anyways, it's um, reminiscent of that story uh, elsewhere in the Gospels where Jesus uh, came across the woman who'd been caught in adultery. Do you remember? And there was a crowd of people wanting to stone her. And Jesus dispersed the crowd by saying, well, let the one who's without sin throw the first stone. And of course, they all melted away. And then he spoke to the woman. And if you remember, he said two things. Um, first of all, he looked around and said, does no one condemn you? then neither do I condemn you. Um, He's all about forgiveness and grace. But he didn't stop there. Secondly, he said to her, off you go then and sin no more. He's all about the truth too. Forgiveness for repentance with a rebuke for what is wrong. Um, So that's Jesus' pattern and it needs to be ours. Um, Jesus' disciples always need to be careful to fall neither into a harsh legalism Um, people who see the sin but are not ready to forgive it, or into a kind of false inclusivism, who just don't even care that there is sin there at all. The harsh legalists condemn people for their lifestyles, which fall short of God's standards as they see it. They may well be right sometimes, but they just offer no way out of that, no grace, no help. Um, Meanwhile, there can also be a kind of false brushing over the seriousness of sin um, behind find fine-sounding words like inclusive, um, which is not really inclusive because it turns people away from the only source of forgiveness. Jesus said it would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone than lead these little ones to sin, but also, even if they sin against you repeatedly, seven times, and come to you in repentance, then forgive them. Worth just saying, little sidebar, we don't have time for a sermon on this this morning, but there could be one, and it's an important one for another time. Forgiveness is not easy. Please don't think I'm just being glib about this. Oh, just forgive. Sometimes it doesn't quite work like that, does it? And there'll be people here this morning, and you're thinking about a particular way in which someone, perhaps even another Christian, has wronged you. And yeah, maybe you want to know how to forgive, but maybe you don't find it that easy. And I do know, sometimes forgiveness is very much a process rather than just an easy thing to do. And it can be about uh, having an attitude, a kind of orientation which is towards forgiveness, even though we are sometimes struggling to get there. 
um, rather than having one which is just towards holding on to those grudges and grievances. There's a lot more we could think about with that, but I just wanted to say that to be clear. This is not glib, it's not easy, but in Jesus' family, our approach is to look to forgive. Thirdly, verses 5 and 6, we always need to be trusting God. It's perhaps not surprising that the disciples realize in verse 5 that all of this might require a little bit more faith than they've got, or at least they think they've got. Uh, So the apostles said to the Lord there, increase our faith. Maybe that's a prayer that you've prayed from time to time. And Jesus replies, famously, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it will obey you. Now Jesus says a few things a bit like this, doesn't he? I don't know what you make of them. Make of them. Uh, what is his point here? Essentially, it's that surprisingly small faith can do amazingly big things if it is well-directed. Jesus quite often uses a kind of hyperbole to make his point, doesn't he? You know, in the next chapter, we get to his comment about a camel going through the eye of a needle, uh, if you remember. Uh, He is not advocating a ministry of tree moving here. That is not what I will be sending you out of church to engage in this morning, um, I'm sorry to say. He is saying, don't fret about how big your faith is. Apply the faith that you have and watch it go to work. I want to say it's safe to say that we can do much more than we probably think we can as God's people here in Thurnby this morning. Because we all tend to suffer from the same lack of faith as Jesus' disciples. But it's not great faith that we need. It's faith in a great God. And in this way, faith is like a window which you're looking through, and you can see a view through the window. And so it's not the size of the window that matters, it's what's in the view. You know, you can have a a, floor-to-ceiling window with bifold doors or whatever it is, but if it's facing, you know, an ugly brick wall, then it's not going to do you much good. Or you could have a relatively small window which you can sit in, and as you look out of it, you know, you, you can see, imagine the most stunning view that you've seen in your life. If you can see that, it doesn't matter the size of the window, does it? In the same way, you may feel your faith is small and needs to be large, but what matters is what are you looking at with faith, or in fact, who are you looking at with faith? if If you are looking at yourself, your abilities, your resources, your wisdom, your experience, whatever it is, it doesn't matter how great your faith is in yourself, then it's probably not going to do you much good. But if you've just got a little bit of faith and you would like to have more and it's in Jesus Christ, well then that's like looking through a relatively small window at something, someone completely amazing who can do remarkable things. Uh, And if our faith is in Jesus, then yes, we can move mountains and mulberry trees. Um, But even more, we can expect to see God at work in our lives and in our families and in our church and in our community, changing people's lives not because of the size of our faith, but because of the power of our God. So trust in God. He is the one to put our faith in. That is what matters. And then lastly, Jesus' comment in verses 7 to 10 on how to live in his household is to serve humbly. Just to read those verses again. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, 
prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Well, he thanked the servant because he did what he was told to do. So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Just when you think Jesus might let up for a moment, he comes in with one last challenging lesson, doesn't he? Uh, And it's a reminder to us that in all that we do, whatever hard work we may put in, even hard work which is, if you like, for God, it never for a moment puts God in our debt. You know, it's so easy to start to think like that, isn't it? Even though we know it's not true, you know, I've done all of that, I've given all of this, I've worked so hard, isn't God satisfied with what I've done yet? And it's not that God only brings us into his family so that he can keep on using us um, for his own ends. Neither is it that verse 10 is is saying to us that we should lack a proper sense of self-worth or self-esteem or something like that. Don't forget, we've already seen in this passage, that we are God's little ones, which means we are the ones he cares about so much. It's just that we need to get a handle on the sheer enormity of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, the creator of all things, coming to give his life so that we might have eternal peace. So to follow him with everything we have is nothing less than our duty. And however well we do it, we can never repay what God has done for us. It's not about trying to repay him, as we know. We can't put him in our debt. And so to live as a servant of Christ, as Paul often describes himself in his letters, is actually the greatest privilege and joy we could ever imagine. You might think of the way the psalmist famously describes it when he says, better is one day in your courts, Lord, than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper, a servant, in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. That's the attitude. Serve humbly. So as I close, um, there's a story that's told about a man who wrote a book. He gave it the title Humility and How I Achieved It. Only Jesus could truly claim the title of that book. Only Jesus can claim, claim to be truly humble as the one who gave up all his rights for the sake of others, for the sake of his children who he loves. And it's humility, I think, which is actually the quality which links all of these things together here in Luke 17. Um, The humility to listen, first of all, to what God has said about what is right and what is wrong, and to accept his own terms rather than trying to define them for ourselves. But also then the humility to repeatedly forgive when we are wronged, when it would be just so much more satisfying to, to look for revenge or take the moral high ground. It's the humility to look to God in faith for help when we can't do it. It's not a bad thing when we realize we can't do what we've been called to do. It's the humility to look to him to do it. And lastly, it's the humility to to live our lives uh, recognizing that we have the privilege of being humble doorkeepers, servants in the house of the great God who is our Father, who loves us and cares for us so much. And as we learn to do these kinds of things, However falteringly and bit by bit it happens, sometimes two steps forward and one steps back, as we do that bit by bit, we become a little bit more like Jesus. Let's pray. 
Thank you, Father God, that you call us your children. Lord Jesus, that you count us as your brothers and sisters, members of your household. Thank you that everything you call us to be and to do, you model for us perfectly as the one who thinks not of himself, but who gives his life that we might have hope. Uh, Lord, there are things in what you say here that we struggle with, if we're honest. There'll be particular things for different people here this morning. Uh, Lord, we recognize that and we, we simply ask for your help. Please, would you increase our faith and our trust in you that we might live more and more as the children of God you've called us to be, that your household of faith may grow and bring glory to you. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.